Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for April 24th, 2016. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, Uncontrolling the Faithful. Let me admit to you that sometimes when I'm preaching, it's hard to worship. My brain is just racing, and I've been thinking all morning and trying to make sure that I'm ready, and sitting here, sometimes it's hard to worship. But today, I've had at least six moments already. The third verse of the first hymn we sang, if you want to know what today is about, go reread the third verse of the first hymn we sang. And Jeff's prayer God, we're here to help get through this thing called life. That's exactly right. And then Dan reminded us that just like tree sequoias, we grow best in groves. We grow together better than we grow alone, and we need each other. The hymn we sang after that, help each other walk the mile and bear the load. That's exactly right. And then Amy reminded us that a passage of Scripture can save your life. You know, the foundation that we are given most of the time as children, the foundation can save our life. And then Jack, who's learning it all. I love that, learning it all. Um, And what I know after having learned it all is that there's so much, 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 much more that I don't know. So thanks to my colleagues for teaching me today. Amy and I served two churches in Birmingham when Park Road called us to be your pastors. We'd been increasingly frustrated with the lack of depth that we were experiencing in those churches. We wanted more challenge in expressing gospel goodness as a congregation. And we wanted more depth from studies and sermons, a more honest theological dialogue in those places. Our experience formed the background for our growing conviction to pursue this thing we call shared pastoral ministry. We enjoyed our churches there, but we were not content. So we talked a great deal in that last year about what we would do if we ever became pastors of a church, how we would lead, what we would teach, the questions and the honesty we would offer. We had a ministerial colleague in Birmingham who had been a friend and mentor, so I asked him one day. I remember having been particularly frustrated with some of the sermons I was hearing at that time. Many reflected a safe kind of Baptist party line. They didn't engage current issues. They didn't struggle with existential questions, you know, suffering and doubt and fear and insecurity. They didn't challenge. They just offered comfortable answers. So I asked my friend, how do you know how much to share from your own experience? Everybody who has been to seminary has questions to ask. Can you be honest about those questions, the challenges of faith and thorny, deep theological issues? He didn't hesitate. He didn't seem to offer his response with remorse. It was just matter of fact. You can never be completely honest about certain things. People just can't handle that. Hmm. You can never be honest 
with church people. They just can't handle that. Wow. His response made me very sad. Ministers aren't different from anybody else in the world. So if we have questions about theology and the practice of faith and our world and God, then everyone else has the same questions Now, I have no doubt that most of us think about those questions more than most of you by nature, shouldn't we? And shouldn't we think about them in order to talk to you about them, not to avoid them? If the people who are trained to lead the church can never be honest about the real challenges of the life of faith, what does this say about the integrity of the church we have inherited? Or of the kind of church we will be creating? Does a church built on such a shallow foundation even have a future? And is it real faith we are offering if we can't expose it to real questions? As I look back on my life, this is one of the defining moments for me. That statement by my friend, you can't ever be completely honest. It's why I am so often drawn, I think, to the challenging texts and issues of faith. Now, I need to be clear, I'm not saying that church should always be hard, that we need to constantly wrestle with thorny issues and always lean into skepticism and doubts. But if we are going to be the church, we cannot avoid conversations just because they're hard, just because they're honest. I determined on that day that if I ever became a pastor, my friend's philosophy would not be my own. That if I ever were a pastor, I would always be completely honest with you on any and every issue. So if you don't really want to know what I really think about heaven or hell or resurrection or immigration or HB2 or whatever, then don't ask, please. And if you are just expecting me as the Baptist minister to give you the party line, if you already know the answer, don't waste your time. My conviction about church begins here, that we must never avoid the struggle of faith. And maybe the supreme example of church and what it means is the story of Jacob wrestling with the, that, that angel on the bank of the river. And his name was changed to Israel, one who contends with God. That's what faith means, to contend with God in trying to make it through this thing called life. We must never avoid the struggle of faith because it's easier to live in the warm cozy of preconceived answers. A conviction that I hold in tandem with this is that I know you are at least as smart as your ministers are. And I believe lay people can and should engage faith at a level that is proportionate to your education and experience and intellect. In other words, adults need to be asking adult questions, not just reciting Sunday school answers. I'm convinced that a significant portion of those who are leaving the American church today do so because the church has failed to make itself real. 
has failed to be a sanctuary for dealing with the hard questions of real lives and failing to be a place where people can deal honestly with life, they just walk away. Now, it's not as if, in reality, they are getting any more substance by staying home in bed or enjoying Starbucks on Sunday morning, but that hypocrisy is for another sermon. Too many people are walking away because the depth is not here to help them deal with this real thing called life. Fred Craddock has been called the preacher's preacher, and he writes of today's interesting text, many pastors have yet to appreciate the levels of maturity that laity can attain when the resources for growth are shared patiently and pastorally. I share the Baptist conviction that our most significant resource for growth is the Bible. It's not the only authority that we should seek, but neither have we come close to exhausting this well of deep, deep wisdom. In this past Wednesday night's excellent presentation and discussion of mercy in economics, our own Mark Kramer essentially ended his presentation by asking What is the responsibility of the wealthiest county in North Carolina for the poorest county? His question was, is Mecklenburg County Robeson County's keeper? Well, of course, this is a biblical question, as all the real questions are. Scripture contains the uh, transcendent stories of all people, every people facing life's most real, most difficult issues, and seeking a way forward with God. Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy and his pathetic defensive denial to God. Am I my brother's keeper? The question reveals the shadow side of our humanity. What does it mean to be human? It means to take care of our brother and our sister whether we are individuals or whether we are the most affluent county in the state. So yes, Mark, Mecklenburg County is Robeson County's keeper. We return to the Bible again and again, not for some Bible-thumping platitudes, but for time-tested, time-honored wisdom of the deepest kind there is that deals with the deepest, most important, transcendent, always-present questions of humanity. Fred Craddock also says that many pastors fail to recognize that withholding knowledge, no matter how complex it is, withholding knowledge is just a means of control. Are we going to be honest or not? Would we rather share honestly or seek to control what you know and what you do and how you live and how you think about the world? There is a lot of power in standing in this place, this place of authority, and defining the narrative for you and telling you why you have to believe it is just as I say it is. There's a lot of ego in that and a lot of pastors enjoy that. Now I understand that you don't care much about the historical critical method of biblical interpretation. 
the four-document hypothesis, all that stuff we learned in seminary. But if you don't understand that the most serious scholars of the Bible have been applying the same critical rules for understanding the Bible as, as are applied to all other disciplines, and that they have been doing this for more than 200 years, if you don't understand that about the Bible, it will be much, much more easy for you either to be duped by a charismatic preacher offering easy, literal answers from the Bible, or if you are a critical thinker, the assumption might be that the Bible is just outdated gobbledygook that does not pertain to your real life. I can't live with either of those options. So this Tuesday, in our Coffee and Kibbutz Bible study, I came across this amazing text from the book of Hebrews. The first verse is really all I'm dealing with here. It stuck out at me. Therefore, let us go on towards perfection, which means completeness, maturity, not just some pristine idealism. Let us go on toward perfection, leaving behind the basic teaching about Christ. Did you hear that? Leaving behind the basic teaching about Christ and repentance and leaving behind the teaching about faith and baptism and the rules about liturgical traditions and leaving behind beliefs of uh, teachings about resurrection and eternal judgment, heaven and hell. Now, if I were to stand in most Baptist pulpits today and tell the congregation that the only way to become whom God intends us to be is to leave behind the basic teachings about Christ and heaven and hell, I probably would not get to the end of the sermon before I was shown the door. That's what it's about, right? The basic teachings are what it's about. Heaven and hell is what it's about. I didn't make this up, folks. It's in the Bible. Leave behind the basic teachings as you go on to perfection. To leave behind is to go beyond. Now some liberals can't go beyond because they give up on the Bible too soon. And some conservatives can't go beyond because they hang on too long. And both readings are immature. The writer of Hebrews is pushing us to maturity by urging us to go beyond the basics, which does imply that you know the basics to begin with. We need to know the basics to begin with. And the writer points to a nature metaphor as an image of maturity, ground that receives rain and produces fruit, receives God's blessing. That's the mark of maturity, fruit that you produce. Just prior to this text that Amy alluded to, he has defined that fruit as the practice of distinguishing good from evil. On the first day of school, every uh, morning, Amy's father asked her for 12 years, Amy, do you know right from wrong? That's where it starts. It's just that simple. Do you know right from wrong? 
and yet there is a maturity that so many people cannot find because they are stuck back there in the basic teachings. This is so evident in the culture war that is raging when I write and post my positions especially positions of inclusion and acceptance and welcome into the church. Most of the social media response I get is overwhelmingly positive, but there are always the angry voices, <coughs> the angry voices of Christians who are incensed that I don't know the basic teaching of the Bible. They're always happy to tell me, don't you know the Bible? Most recently, in the disturbing anger over House Bill 2, I am being assailed that the Bible says God made them male and female. Don't you know, preacher? There's no room for homosexuality and transgender people. The Bible says. Well, I understand. I've read the creation narrative just like they have, that God created created male and female But does that preclude an understanding of biology which did not exist 3,000 years ago that affirms the beautiful diversity of our sexuality? Do we reject the, the, the narrative of creation to affirm that what it means is we all, every one of us, is created in the image of God? Every one of us. The image of God to love one another, to pursue pursue truth and wisdom and beauty and diversity. My Bible says we must leave behind the basic teachings and demonstrate that we have God's law written on our hearts That's where the writer is moving in this text. If you'll read the book of Hebrews, the writer says what's important is not that we know just enough to quote some scripture, but that we have demonstrated what the prophet Jeremiah claimed more than 500 years before Hebrews was written, that there is a covenant that was written on tablets of stone and it's written in black and white, it's written in the Bible. That's important. But even 500 years before Jesus, Jeremiah said, God has given us a new covenant, and it's not black and white rules. It is the rule of love. And the only place it can be written is on your heart. It has always been the case, and it is as as important now as it has ever been that the church and its people need to leave behind the basic teachings about Christ and move beyond. I know those are dangerous words. A dangerous charge to give to you unseminary trained laity. Oh, how dare I trust you with that. It's a dangerous charge that does not give a minister much control over the faithful. But it seems to me that it's the uncontrolled wildfires and the uncontrollable love of God that burns the brightest. May it be so. Amen.
We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.